Hello and welcome to the Common Sense Gospel. I'm Danny Simmons. And I'm Kurt Norbert. And our title today is That You May Know. This will be the heart of our discussion uh, as the Lord gives us time, That You May Know. And we want all of you to know that uh, this comes from a sermon that Kurt preached this last Sunday uh, for the members at Northwest. Um, I was told, uh, actually it doesn't matter that I was told, I saw it online and uh, I know that he did a phenomenal job. Um, I got phone calls from members, text messages, just saying that uh, how much Kurt's lesson meant to them. And so, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, well, then we should share this with our audience as well. Uh, the topic of the sermon and the, the points that were tied to that and why they're so vitally important for each and every one of us. Uh, we can know, for example, that we have salvation. We can know by looking at God's objective truth that heaven is ours. We can know that. We can be sure of it. We can know that God is with us here and now, and we can know that he's pleased. And, and there's so many other things that the Bible allows us to know and to fully, fully know. And so we'll let Kurt lay this out for us and kind of get us started uh, that you may know. Yeah, really, the, the key verse, and we're going to spend pretty much all of our time uh, in this discussion in the book of First John, because John gave us the reason why he wrote this book, and it's because God knew that we would have these concerns from time to time. Uh, I think especially among newer Christians, the, the question comes up, or, or maybe someone's not even really a believer, but they're concerned, how do I know I'm saved? How, how do I know I have fellowship with God? How do I know that I'm right with him? Well, John said in 1 John 5.13, these things I have written... In other words, here's the, the letter that he has just given. He wrote these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So if his reason for writing the letter is so that we can know that we have fellowship with God, that we can know that we have eternal life, then it's reasonable to expect that he's going to tell us some things in this letter to give us that assurance. And so what I did in, in studying First John is just looked at those passages that tell us the things that we can know and how we can know them. Um, in fact, knowing is a real important theme to, uh, to John in this letter, as we should expect from the purpose that we just read. The word know, or its cognates like knowing or knows or known, uh, is found 32 times in this short letter. Oh, wow. So John has a lot to say about knowing. So, so Christianity is not feeling. It's not a feeling. That's not to say there's no emotional response to the God, love that God has shown to us. But the faith is not based on my feelings. Nowhere in the scriptures do you find God basing a person's faith or, or having us base our faith on subjective feelings. Because my subjective feelings, the way I choose to look at something or how I feel about it can change day to day. And in fact, through the prophet Jeremiah, God warned us about that. Uh, Jeremiah 17.9 reminds us, that the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? 
Well, do you want to trust a deceiver to give you the answer as to whether you are saved or not? God doesn't want that, and we can't trust that. So he gives us objective criteria. He gives us this and this and this. Do this and you can know, is what John continually says in this letter. So the first thing he starts off with uh, is, of course, at the beginning of the letter. And he starts off with this point because, obviously, we have to have a foundation for our faith. If I need to know whether I'm saved or not, I need to know where that salvation is. What, what is my salvation based on? Where, what is the focus of my faith? What, what am I going to build on? And so uh, John emphasizes an important fact at the beginning of the letter. First uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 tells us that that which was from the beginning, which we, the apostles, have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. And that's a favorite reference of John to Jesus. He is the word, the life that was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. Why is that, John? that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. So he tells us, here I am going to tell you about what we saw and what we handled, what we touched, what we observed, what we looked at, what we watched, all through the ministry of Jesus. So here's an eyewitness basis for this. I'm going to tell you everything we know about Jesus so that you can have fellowship with us. Now, what's so great about that, John? Well, because we have fellowship with the Father and the Son. So by extension, if we have fellowship with those who have fellowship with God, in other words, we're following the apostles and, and heeding their teaching, then that fellowship's going to extend to us. Mm -hmm. And so uh, John is giving us this foundation that we can have fellowship with the one in whom is eternal life. And we can know that because John declares it if we have faith in this one. And it's all based on the fact that it's not something I heard about or whatever. We saw it. We heard it. We experienced it. We were with him. We saw everything he did. We heard everything he taught. And now we're going to declare that to you. Yeah. So if we believe with all our heart that Jesus is the Son of God, that is one signpost we can use to know that we have fellowship with the Father and the Son, that we're in a saved condition. And I like the fact, because in, in the lesson you had pointed out that he— well, you went back to the end of John's gospel where the resurrected Christ was standing there with the apostles. And he, and he said, you know, touch mm. and touch and feel and see, yep. uh, does spirit have flesh and bone as you see that I have? And so I love that because that's Jesus. We know that they were with him in the three years of the ministry. But 
after the resurrection, the confirmation that he has been risen from the dead. And now what he's saying about all those whom he will call forth, they will be resurrected as well. That's all confirmed because Jesus is standing there in front of them. John held him with his own hands. And he's saying to his uh, believing brethren, I'm giving this to you because we we had him in our hands. We, we touched him. We talked to him. We heard him. And we evaluated everything that was taking place. And now we're sharing that with you. And in 1 John 5, 13, he says, I'm writing this to you because you believe. So that's, you know, obviously fantastic. You believe in the Son of God. But it, but the second part of that is that you may know that you have eternal life. So you believe in the Son of God. And now it's, it's like as an apostle or um, a mentor, someone who's leading you and kind of guiding you through your life, that, that we would want them so badly to come to us and say, you're doing great. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you how you can know that you're doing great. I mean, I would want that so desperately from an apostle to tell me, I know you believe, that's why I'm writing to you, but I also want you to know that you have eternal life. And then he says, and in knowing that, that you would or may continue to believe. Yeah. So it's back to belief right. in the name of the Son of it God. It's your faith. It's yeah. so central. Yeah, I, I always like to emphasize, and I, it's not just in knowing of our own salvation or applying to First John, but in anything uh, of a spiritual nature. Yes, we need to know what we believe. Yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. You know, I believe in what he taught. I, I believe in the apostles' authority. I believe the Bible's inspired. But that really is not enough as time goes on. We need to know why we believe mm. what we believe. In other words, as as Jude said, we need to be ready to contend for the earnestly for the faith. We need to be able to explain to someone, uh, yeah, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, why? Uh, well, because the Bible says so. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh uh-huh. wow, that's convincing. I don't believe in the Bible, so how about something else? We need to be able to explain why we believe in the resurrection or anything else in involving God and his ways. Yes. We have to give reason, uh, give an answer for the reason of the hope that's within us, as Peter said. So it's, a, it's important. This is a vital point because uh, over in John, 1 John chapter 2, uh, at verse uh, 22, and John uses some strong language in this letter, so we need to get used to that. Yes. But he does it because he's trying to emphasize the point. This, this is what you need to be aware of. 1 John uh, 2.22, he says, Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. The one who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So that's why it's important to know who you believe in and why. Because it, there, there are only one of two consequences. You're either going to have the Father and the Son or you won't. And it all bases on whether you believe them or not. Yeah, absolutely. And that's interesting. He says, you know, who is a liar? He who denies that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And it's, at first it's like, well, wait a second. What if someone's not sure and they're like, this is what I've always been taught, and so I don't think he's the son of God. The Bible says emphatically that person is a liar. 
the reason is not that they're lying because they're like, I'm going to tell this fib. I'm going to knowingly tell this lie. It is that they oppose God's eternal truth. And so they're a liar. It, what they're saying is not true. And that, that's interesting because it, it's much deeper than just this is back to this is how I feel kind of thing. It doesn't matter how you feel. God has told us beyond the shadow of a doubt who he is, that he's given his son, uh, to, to was granted to us uh, to shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, which is all that we would ever need in this life as it pertains to eternity. And God has provided that. And so if someone's like, yeah, but I don't think so, then the Lord has no problem looking right at that person and saying, you are a liar because I told you the truth and you're opposing that truth. Isn't, mm-hmm. that, isn't that interesting? That You don't have to be like fully and deeply educated on these topics. It's just if you say that he doesn't exist or that he's not the son of God, you're a liar. Yeah, and it's just one one thing I was uh, thinking about after that sermon Sunday as, as different people were coming up and talking to me about it. John is one of the simplest writers in the New Testament. His his Greek is the most rudimentary That's right. of all the writers. And so he puts things very simply, very black and white. And so he says, basically, the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ is a liar. Well, now it's hard to get around that one. Yeah, uh, There's not a lot of what-if room there. And John does that throughout this letter. He, he produces or provides these stark contrasts that... If you're this, here's the result. But if you're this, here's the result. Yep. And so the choice is not complicated. It's not difficult to get the point and to know where you stand with God. No. So you said there were different different markers, believing that Jesus is the Son of God was the first one. Yeah, and the second one is what you're doing about that belief. Uh, just continuing on in verse 5 of chapter 1 and down to verse 7, uh, John says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So, here he tells us God is light, and if we're going to have fellowship with him, then we need to walk in the light. And he contrasts that uh, down in verse uh, verse 7. He said, if we walk in the, or in verse uh, 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Okay, so here it is again. What direction are you walking in? Where are you walking? And, of course, we understand what walking is. We're taking steps in order to get somewhere. And that's what John is saying. He, he's basically saying, how are you living your life? What's the direction of your life? He defines walk there in verse 6 when he says, those who say they have fellowship and walk in darkness lie and do not practice the truth. Yeah. So your walk is synonymous with what you're practicing. Are you practicing living in darkness, in not living for God, or is the practice of your life, is your walk in the light? Because if it's in the light, in other words, the light that God has given us in his word to show us the way, then we're following his light. We are in his light, and he is light, so we can walk in that light. 
Yeah. John, John's really big on that light idea too. Cause in John chapter three, when John is talking to Nicodemus, as he finishes his conversation with Nicodemus, he says, this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. And so there's that picture again of the light. The, those who are evil run from the light and they hate the light because it exposes their evil. But those who are striving to do well and to do good and to be pleasing to God are drawn to the light for that very purpose. And that's that's what the light provides that it could shine down on you and say, here's what needs attention. The light is now on and I can see where the problems are. I, I, I know what needs to be dealt with so that I can be in the light and walk in the light, as you said. Um, and Paul, Paul uses that walk idea a lot in Ephesians. Yeah. And it's, it, it is good to understand that thread that appears throughout the New Testament. What is your walk? Where are you heading in life? What are you practicing? Uh, and again, it's important. John emphasizes in uh, 1 John 2.15, uh, he tells them, these, these who believe and writing these things so that they can know that they have eternal life. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So how do I know I have eternal life? How do I know I can abide forever? Do the will of God, yeah, which is synonymous to walk in the light. Okay. I'm, I'm surprised you came up with five because two, that, that's really, uh, that's... That's covering a lot. Number one, believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Number two, walk in the light. And the third one? Third one involves uh, some humility. We have to be willing to put away our pride. Because the, the third point that I uh, found in John is that we need to recognize that without God we are weak, mm -hmm. that we must depend on him for direction, for guidance, for support, for, for spiritual sustenance. We cannot do it our way. So we, we need to recognize that we are weak flesh and what we, what we can do about that. Uh, and we can just continue in chapter 1 on down in verse 8 to see this particular signpost that, that John is laying out. And it's interesting that he lays these three just one right after the other. Bam, bam, bam. Here's the basis for your faith. Believe in Jesus as the Son of God. Then uh, walk in the light. Here's how you respond to that belief. Here's how you put it into practice. Mm -hmm. And number three, recognize that you need help to do that. And so in verse 8, he says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins uh, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, and here's that, that warning again, uh -huh. we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Mm. So here again, I think 
in reading First John for a lot of people, and I know it's so because I had this question early on, and, and many have brought this question to me. Probably it's been brought to your attention too, Danny, as you minister to and counsel people. But they'll say, is John saying that once I become a Christian, I, I'll never sin again? Well, no, because he tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive them. And this is an ongoing thing. This, this is, uh, in the Greek, it's in the aorist tense. What that means, it's something that continues. Right. It's, it's present, it exists now, and it's something that continues on. So if we say that we have no sin, and here he's talking about the idea of whether we're continuing in sin or not. If I, am, if I can say, I'm not sinning, then you can de- deceive yourself because we're all capable of doing that. I believe as you mature in Christ, you become more resistant to that. Mm. You should be sinning less. But because we are weak flesh, that possibility is always there. I could fall to a temptation. I can blurt out something injurious that I didn't mean to say, but I lost control of myself and said something that hurt that person. We're all capable of those things. And so God says, if you sin, here's what you do about it. So it's, it's not that we no longer can sin, that the Christian, once he becomes a Christian, now can live a sinless life. It's saying that the child of God will not remain in sin. He will cease to practice sin. And that goes back to that walk. That's right. Your walk is going to demonstrate where you are with God. And to be able to discern that requires that humility, that I am weak in the flesh. I cannot do it by myself. I need God's light, his guidance, and I need his strength. I need the confidence that he can give me. I need his reassurance, which is one reason Paul or John writes this letter. This is so that you can have that assurance. You can know you're saved. How? Well, on this point, if I recognize who and what I am and that I need God to help me out. Yeah, that's, and that you may know. There's, there is a time, there will always be a time, as you said, that there's some weakness within and, and we're, we're struggling with something. We also, we haven't lost track or our faith in who God is as a loving father. Uh, Romans 8 says we can cry out to him, Abba, Father, as we are led by the Spirit. So I am recognize and acknowledge some sinful activity in my life. My walk is not in the light. It's, it has changed direction. I've separated myself from the Lord in, in some particular area. And I can go to him and, and confess those things to him and to, and to beg for wisdom, assistance, obviously the mercy that we need because of those sins. The wages of sin is death. That, that will always be true. And so you don't become a member of the church or you don't be baptized and say, okay, my sins are washed. Now I'll be okay. It's an ongoing effort to be conformed into the image of the Son of God. It's not an excuse. You know, we say, well, the Lord knows that we'll sin, so I guess I can sin. That, that's not the point. We're striving to separate ourselves from those things which offend and oppose our Father. But we're not perfect at it, and sometimes we're just not good at it. And so he knows that, 
and he has created an avenue to come to him and to confess those sins. And that he's, then the promise is he's faithful and just. He will forgive you. But as you said, that's not, I don't see that happening anywhere in the Bible without humility. Absolutely. I yep. just don't see, I, I don't see a flippant like, oh, I'm sorry, my bad. I don't see that. I see no. humility and you fear. You always see a contrite heart yeah. and someone who is, is disappointed, um, someone who is discouraged, someone who is unhappy. Yeah. That they have maligned God, basically, that they have sinned against him because one who loves God does not want to do that. No, and I've been there. I have been there. Oh, at, so have I. It's a terrible feeling, yeah. but but it's it's a cleansing feeling mm-hmm. if it's have if it should have its perfect purpose in our life. But here's the reassurance, as you pointed out, and as we noticed from John, when we come to that realization, oh man, what I did yesterday that was wrong, and I I don't want that on me. I'm ashamed of that. Well, God can take away the shame. And we need that promise. We, we are assured right yeah. here. If we confess us, he is faithful and just Done. to forgive us our sins. Two things there. God, we can trust him to do it because he said he would. And he's just to do it. In other words, it's right. He is a just God. And if we acknowledge, our, that, just like before a judge, if I acknowledge that I have committed a crime, which is what I'm doing when I confess my sin to God. I'm saying, God, you said this is a sin, and you're right, and I did it, and I'm sorry. I, I, I want to erase that, and I want your help. I need your help to get past that and to work on that so I don't do it again. He will forgive, and he'll provide that help. And, and not only John, but right here specifically as we look at it, God will forgive that's what he wants to do. That's why he sent his son. That's such an awesome thing. The fourth, the fourth marker in John's letter. Well, now we get into chapter 2 and get down <laughs> to uh, verse 3. Um, this is something that, unfortunately, a lot of people in the religious world don't like to teach and don't like to hear. Uh, John says very plainly in First John 2, beginning at verse 3, now by this, we know that we know him. Wow, okay, this is neat. Mm-hmm. I can know that I know God. How, John? If we keep his commandments. Mm. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is what? A liar. A liar. Yeah. So the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this, we know that we are in him. And just look at how many times John emphasizes in those three verses that we can know. We know, we know, we know. We can know him when we keep his commandments. When we can know him when we do what he says to do, when we walk in the light, as, as we've already described. That's what I was going to ask you was, that, doesn't this seem to be a reinforcement of the second marker, which is walk in the light? That is obe- yeah, obedience. He's narr- he is zeroing in on what it means to walk in the light. Keep his commandments. And this is not just the Ten Commandments. It is, as he says, doing the will of God. Uh, as we read when, uh, uh, through this passage, it, keeping his commandments, whoever keeps his words, 
truly the love of God is perfected in him. So keeping his word is keeping his commandments. And so you can ask yourself the question, how do I know I'm saved? Well, am I obeying him or not? That's right. Am I being obedient or not? And what's disturbing about this, uh, in much of the religious world, the idea of being obedient, having obedience involved with your salvation chafes a lot of people because they will say obedience is a work. It's something you do, and we aren't saved by works. You can't earn your salvation, so obedience is not something you need in order to be saved. And I've actually read that. You don't need to be obedient to be saved. Well, that can't be well, right. We just read that you have to obey. Yeah, let's, what did John say? So what, who are we listening to here? Uh, who's got the light that we can walk in? So it's a definition of the term uh, work then, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, a lot of people have trouble, and, and I brought this out in the lesson, and I, I feel the need to emphasize this a lot. I, I need to be reminded of it, and I think people need to be reminded of it in general who are interested in the Bible. It is true. Undeniably, the Bible states that we cannot be saved by our own works. Man cannot come up with anything that they can offer to God and say, look what I did, look how wonderful I am, you owe me my salvation. Mm-hmm. It, that is just not going to happen. It's not in us. But when you, when you look at what the Bible has to say about works, Paul and many other, the other writers clearly state you cannot work to obtain your salvation. You cannot do your own works. The works of men don't avail to anything. But then James says in chapter 2 that works save us. So how in the world does that work? We're not saved by faith alone, but by our works, according to James. Well, the Bible doesn't contain a contradiction. So it isn't that Paul's saying one thing and James says the opposite. Obviously, if someone says you can't be saved by works and other, someone else says you are saved by works, they have to be talking about different kinds of works. Right. Paul is saying very clearly, we cannot be saved by our own works. Well, what works then save us that James is talking about? They are the works that God has ordained us to do. Um, One of our brothers here, whenever we're on this particular subject, he loves to go to Ephesians 2 because Paul says something there. the, The apostle who very clearly tells us you can't be saved by the works of men. In um, Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 8, he says, For grace you have been saved through faith, and that uh, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So those are human works. Right. It didn't come from me. I didn't do anything to earn it. But look what he says in verse 10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay. God prepared something for us. What? Good works to do. So the works that James talks about that save us are the works that God has ordained for us to do. They came from him. 
He originated them. They're from his mind. That's not something I made up. But he said, if you do this, you can have assurance of salvation. And that's what John is saying in 1 John. Walk in the light. Right. Believe in Jesus Christ. Recognize your weakness. As we just read in chapter 2, obey. When you're doing these things, you can know you're saved. So or obedience is inextricably bound with salvation. Yep. The alternative is, then you can just go ahead and disobey God and be saved? And I've heard people say yes. No. I've heard Bible teachers say yes to that. Yeah, you can be disobedient, but you can't lose your salvation. Again, look at what John said. You need to keep his commandments. You can't say, I know him, and not keep his commandments. That makes you a liar. I think one of the bigger hinges on this, I mean, you've laid all that very well, but one of the bigger hinges on, on this topic as well is the attitude of the servant. Because in Romans 4, Paul says, you know, what does Abraham have to boast about? Uh, nothing before God. Yep. Is he boasting of his works? No, he can't. Yeah. He couldn't do that. This would be Abraham coming to God and say, okay, now you owe me, which is what you were laying out. Mm -hmm. That's a problem of attitude. In Luke 17, Jesus tells the apostles, when you have done all those things yes. which you were commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Yeah. That is the right attitude and the right heart in the works that we, if someone says, well, you can't be saved by works, they're not accusing us of ultimately, you know, some doctrinal issue. I think it is either they're misapplying it or they think we believe that I, I'm going to go to the Lord and say, now you owe me right. because I did all these things that I thought were going to be good. And Jesus makes it abundantly clear that the things we come up with to do in his name are worth nothing if he didn't authorize those things. That's right. So I really do. I just feel like it's an, it's, it's an attitude of the servant who says, God has shown me this by the light he provided, and I want to be involved in it. That's right. In, just to glorify him. And so when all that personal stuff is melted away, now we're talking about someone who's walking in the light, obeying the commandments of God because he's given them to us. Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, Keep, keep my, my commandments. commandments. Yeah. John 15, 14. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. And so it's the things he's called us to do. And for me and my attitude to say, I am an unprofitable servant. I have simply done that which was my duty, that which was laid upon me by my master to do. Then everything else is going to fix itself. I'm not trying to get into heaven by works. And I'm not trying to point them out to my fellow man. I just know that I have to be obedient according to the word of God, First John, mm -hmm. and every other passage we just read, because that's pleasing to him, and that is, as you said, inextricably bound to salvation. Yep. And your emphasis there on having the servant heart, the right attitude, is from the word of God. John affirms that in chapter 5 at verse 3, when he says, This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. That's right. So it's not that, okay, this is what God told me to do, so I, I got to go do it. Or I can do this, and this is going to be a real brownie point with God. I can hold this up and say, look at this, Lord. I deserve something for this. No, I am demonstrating my love for God because he is my Savior, my Master, my Creator, and I want to obey him. I want to please him. So I'm going to do what he tells me to do. Why? Not because I feel like, oh, okay, here's another one I need to check off. 
or here's something I can do to earn my salvation. It's no, because he is my God. He's done everything for me, and I need to return that to him. Yep, it's already been done that we may know, and so now we serve gladly. So the fifth marker? Last one, uh, again, as we go on in chapter 2 uh, of First John, we're going to look at verses 8 and 9, and then also we're, we're going to emphasize that by going over to chapter 3 at verse 14. But Paul tells us, or I keep on saying Paul, <laughs> and I don't know why that is. It, we're looking at the Apostle John right here. First uh, <laughs> John 2, 8. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true, in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. There's that darkness and light theme again. Verse 9, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause of stumbling in him. Chapter 3 at verse 14, we know, so there again, the certainty, here's the assurance, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So John is emphasizing the importance of loving your fellow Christian, loving your brothers and sisters, Loving members of the church, in other words. And the reason he emphasizes that so much is because he outlines what that accomplishes for us. Here's what that love does for us. In chapter 4, in verse 7, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. So you cannot have no love for your brethren and say that you know God, because God is love. If you don't know love, you don't know God. And so that's one thing loving the brethren accomplishes for us, is it helps us to know God better. Uh, Then down in verse 20 of chapter 4, he says, If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, once again, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God, whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So we just talked about keeping his commandments. Mm-hmm. Well, here's one of them. Love your brother. Well, how you're commanding me to have a gushy feeling towards someone all the time? No. That's not the kind of love that the Bible puts emphasis on. It's not that slushy, gushy feeling when you see a handsome guy or a pretty girl walk by. This is a love that is self-sacrificing. It's the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated in his life in giving himself for us. That's right. It's agape love. It's the kind of love that puts the interest of someone else before your own. And we can learn to do, we can decide to do that. It's a choice. And we can learn how to do it. It's, it's not just, oh, I feel real gushy about this. I must love it. 
No, this is another objective standard. This is a love that's chosen and grown into. That's right. And when you nurture this kind of love, when you decide, I'm going to love that brother or sister, I'm going to do what it takes to help them on the way to heaven, well, then you're getting to know God because God is love. And through loving the brethren, you're learning to love God. So this also is a vital uh, landmark for us to, to look at to know that we're saved. And it's a big one because that's the, where the rubber meets the road. There's a lot of people in the congregation, typically, um, and they're all different. And God wants us to get to know, to love, to appreciate, and to give ourselves to each one. And he, I've, you know, it's one of the things I've always wondered about. Uh, and usually it's under the guise of why him, Lord, or why her, you know, <laughs> why is this person here? But they're probably thinking the same thing about me. And the reason is because God wants us to work that out here. Now, understand what his love is and make it work in my life. I have got to be connected to the Lord's body in order to work this out. I can't just say, oh, I'd love the brethren hypothetically if I ever met one. It is being a member of the Lord's church, getting connected to that tight community that is the bride of Christ, knowing each individual the way that we should, knowing that we will stand together in, in eternal glory on that great and awesome day for, for the rest of eternity and to prepare for that now uh, in this process of learning. Um, to tear down all those walls, the social walls that are put up for all kinds of reasons and saying, I need to know who you are and I need to share who I am with you and I want to love you with all the love that God has placed in my heart and, and that something amazing and beautiful has worked out there and we'll never know it. We will never know the love of God until we commit ourselves to that. And I, I'm saying that as one who understands what that means and uh, how, how hard it can be and how easy it can be. You know, I think once, once you start to get the hang of that and understand that how you fit in that and how that works, it does get easier, but it's a challenge. And every time I think, oh, well, maybe this is how God sees me when, when I walk into the room. He's like, oh, boy, here comes Danny again. But he loves me. Yes. And he knows I need work. He knows I'm not perfect, but he loves me. And so that goes beyond everything else. And when that's established, then the relationship is real. And we must have that with one another in order to establish the fact that we can know that we are children of God, that we are known by him, and that we have heaven waiting for us. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. We need to do trivia questions uh, before we run out of time. I have two for you. Can I give you my uh -oh. first one? Sure. Pummel me. Pummel. <laughs> I can take it. <laughs> oh, we're about to find out, sir. Oh, well, maybe not. Yeah. Okay. Question number one. Who said this? Uh-oh. Well, this no. is a very common word, so a lot of people said this. <laughs> so, But you you have one person. Are you mind. ready or not? Uh, I am ready. Okay. Trivia. Who said this? He who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. That was the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water, but he who is coming will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with power. All right, what's your first question for us? Okay, here's, here's my opportunity to retaliate. 
in love, though. Yeah, <laughs> no, um, in the book of Judges, what famous judge was also a Nazarite from birth? Samson. Yes, there you go. Judges chapter 13 at verse 5. He, he was a Nazarite, which... Uh, you could one of the the aspects of having a Nazarite vow of being a Nazarite was you could never cut your hair. That's right. But when he cut his hair, that vow was broken. He's no longer a Nazarite, and he lost his strength. He lost his strength. So that's right, Samson, the, the enigmatic judge of Israel. A strong dude. Yes. All right. Question number two for you. Question number three for everyone else. Who said this? Oh my, <laughs> <laughs> Lord. I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. Zacchaeus. Hmm. Well, now I got to say that that's you, not the right answer. No, I think that you, you're you may have for. gotten me. I need to look that oh, up. Oh, that. What you're looking at is probably the uh, centurion. Yes. Who needed his yes. servant healed? Matthew chapter eight and yep. verse eight. Yeah, Jesus said, "I'll come and heal him." And the centurion sent message, "Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word, because he understood authority." So for now, let's just say you got it right, because you did get it right. Uh, I got to look into the the Zacchaeus thing. I can't remember if he told. I don't know if he did. I don't think he said, "I'm not worthy." We are told that he was joyful. Yeah. When Jesus said, "I must come to your house today," that's right. So. Can I have a half a point on that one? No, I think it's full. I mean, <laughs> I'm willing to give it to you. You got it right. Centurion at Capernaum. It's Matthew chapter 8 and verse 8. And so we got one final question. All righty. And here it is. Uh, as a sign and an example of Israel's unfaithfulness in the Old Testament, what prophet was told by God to marry an unfaithful wife? In fact, she was a harlot. Yeah. Hosea. Yes, you are the man. That's right. Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. What was her name? Um, I don't recall. That's on the tip of my tongue. I was I just didn't, reading I, I didn't that. have that as a trivia question. <laughs> I was just reading that just like a day or two ago. All right. Well, I'm not going to waste anybody's time. <laughs> We hope that we know uh, she was unfaithful, unfortunately. Yes, that and that was the bottom line. We do hope this has been helpful to all of you. Just looking at the first uh, John, John's first letter, he says, "These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God." We are to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We are to walk in His light. We are to acknowledge our acknowledge our weakness. In humility, we are to remain faithful and obedient, and we are to love the brethren. We certainly have our work cut out for us, but God has not laid too much upon us that we cannot accomplish the good things that he's called us to do. We hope and pray always that you're a blessing to those around you and that you love and serve God with all of your heart, all of your mind, and all of your soul.